So we are in Isaiah 9. We have been working through these four attributes of the coming king. Each week of Advent, we've talked about the wonderful counselor, the mighty God. Jared talked about the everlasting father. And finally, we've come to the Prince of Peace. And I say that because uh, if you recall, all four of our church friends have made an art piece this Advent season. Um, and our con- contribution to that art piece is a th- themed around the Prince of Peace. So if you haven't taken time to look at this, I would encourage you at the end of the service, c- come up and look at the imagery that our artists used to convey um, the Prince of Peace. On Christmas Eve, all four sections of the frame will be merged uh, into one. I'm looking forward to that. I think that'll be really neat. But by way of recap, um, Isaiah starts, right, with this pretty negative uh, prophecy. Isaiah 1, verse 7 says, Your land is desolate, your cities burn down, foreigners devour your fields right in front of you, a desolation like a place demolished by foreigners. And we, if we read on, we learn that things are really bad. The people are wicked. They're selfish. Uh, they're pretending to serve God with their outward lives, but their inward lives are broken. They let injustice reign and rule in their communities. And the enemies have come to ravage their land. But Isaiah says in someday, in the far future, something is going to happen. God is going to make everything new. Isaiah chapter two says the vision that Isaiah, son of Amotz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established at the top of the mountains and will be raised above the hills. All nations will stream to it and many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us about his ways so that we may walk in his paths for instruction will go out of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will settle disputes among the nations and provide arbitration for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plows and their spears into pruning knives. Nation will not take up sword against nation and they will never again train for war. And so there's this contrast between what's going on now with the people of God and what God has planned in the future Later, we we continue to read Isaiah, and in chapter 6, he tells his conversion story where he has this vision of the Lord, and he says he's, he's ruined, he's completely undone by the presence of God, but he receives grace. His sin is forgiven. Isaiah expects judgment from God because of who God is, how glorious and majestic and beautiful God is, but he receives mercy and kindness. And we've been saying that as we look at the beauty of Christ in these attributes this season, we should be people that have reactions that are similar to Isaiah's. If we are not in awe and impressed and moved by Christ, we don't really understand Christ the way we should. When we understand our sin the beauty of Christ shines brighter. And conversely, our unbelievable brokenness becomes more clear in the light of Jesus. And we lose sight of this and we make our faith experience just kind of an everyday, go to church, do the things, routine. And I think 
Isaiah would say, no, 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 you, you, don't, you don't really understand Jesus because you aren't being moved by his glory and his beauty. Karis and I went to um, the new Spider-Man movie this week on opening night with uh, my nephew and a bunch of his friends. And when you go to a superhero movie on opening night, you just have to realize that you're going to miss a lot of the dialogue because every time something cool happens, the entire theater goes, ah! And also, half of the people there were dressed up as Spider-Man. But these men and women are invested. They are in awe. They read the comics. They watch the movies. They know all the backstories that, that I don't know. And, and this, this little thing that was in the corner here references back to some comic here. And, and they're just so soaked in Spider-Man that when they see these things and experience these things, they're moved and they're excited and there's tears, <laughs> tears of joy. <laughs> And how much more should we be people who be behold our King Jesus and react the same way? And yet so often we're so used to who we think God is that we just kind of shrug our shoulders and sing sometimes and maybe we'll read our Bible and, huh, that was interesting. And Isaiah wants us to be in awe of Jesus. And so we come to our main verse, Isaiah 9, chapter, or verse 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. We've talked about this, but this is an this is a example of our God as a trinity, this, this king that is coming will be born a child, but he's not created. He is given because the son is the eternal God along with the father and the Holy Spirit. And he's been given charge over the government. All of the things that rule the earth will be his to run. And we've said he will run the, his government in these ways. He is a wonderful counselor. He has access to every secret of the universe, every core principle of reality, both out there and inside your heart. And he's inviting you as a wonderful counselor to take his counsel. He's a mighty God. Jesus is the only one that is strong. And he fights on our behalf. When we're afraid, he is our hope. And he is the eternal father. As Jared talked about last week, we all long to be loved by a fatherly king who is good and strong and holy and eternal, not temporary. And Jesus is that fatherly king. Jesus will not fail us. And lastly, this morning, Jesus is the prince of peace. So let's talk about princes. Maybe when you think about the word prince, you think about this guy. Little, I mean, he's lovely. Uh, he, he doesn't have any teeth for some reason. His face is so smooth. 
A uh, little, little dead in the eyes though. Um, or maybe you think about this guy. Uh, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's rugged. He's, he's got this fairy tale story with his wife and he's going to renounce his throne and, you know, get a reality TV show or something. I don't know. Or maybe you think of this guy, the ultimate prince. Um, <laughs> Carl. Uh, here's the thing. Whenever I think of prince, it just seems a little silly to me. The, the prince isn't, isn't a king. He's more of a playboy. He just kind of runs around using the authority of his father to get into trouble. But that's not what the Bible is talking about when it uses the word prince. Other translations of this Hebrew word are leader, ruler, chief, commander, captain, governor. A prince is one who is given authority by the supreme authority to rule over an area. In Psalm 2, we read this. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. Let's tear off their chains and throw their ropes off of us. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord ridicules them. Then he speaks to them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. I've installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will declare the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son today. I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with an iron scepter. You will shatter them like pottery. This is a messianic psalm that is being written about the coming King Jesus that Yahweh appoints to rule over the nations. Matthew 28, famous verse, we read, Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. The story of the Bible is that the father, the great king of heaven, the one called the ancient of days in Daniel 7, has given all authority over to the son. He is the prince, the captain, the governor, the leader, the ruler, the one chosen to carry out the will of the father. And so he is the prince of peace. He's the one responsible for peace. So what is, what is peace? Merriam-Webster says that peace is a state of tranquility or quiet, such as freedom from civil disturbance or a state of security or order within a community provided for by law or custom. And when we think of peace, I think we often think about a real passive reality. Peace happens when people stop, when they stop warring, when they stop arguing, when they stop fighting. But in Matthew 5, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. So how can we follow in the footsteps of Jesus as peacemakers if peace is about ceasing action? I think peace is, is more complicated than we often think. In Hebrew, the word peace is a very famous word. It's the word shalom. You probably, if you know any Hebrew words, you probably know that one, shalom. 
And peace is not just about warfare. Shalom means peace. It also means rest. It means rest between God, self, others, nature. It means completeness or wholeness to bring yourself or to bring something into a state of wholeness. I want to give you some examples. In your English Bibles, you may not recognize this because the translators translate the word shalom differently depending on the context. But in 1 Kings 9, we read three times a year, Solomon burnt or offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings on the altar he had built for the Lord, and he burned incense with them in the Lord's presence, so he completed the temple. That word completed is shalom. Solomon shalomed the temple. Peace looks like creating and making proper use of beautiful things. In Exodus 22, we read, when a man lets a field or vineyard be grazed in and then allows his animals to go and graze in someone else's field, he must repay with the best of his own field or vineyard. He must repay is the word shalom. He must do shalom. Peace looks like justice, fairness, right action between neighbors. And this, I think, is my favorite example. Nehemiah 6, the wall was completed in 52 days on the 25th day of the month, Elul. The word completed is shalom. The wall was shalomed in 52 days. Peace looks like repairing things that are broken. And peace is not just about passive inaction, we were at um, my friend, uh, Jer Schumacher's house. You, some of you know Jer. He's one of the provisional elders of our church. And uh, he lives in Portland and our family stayed at his house. And we have two young girls. He has uh, four children that are teenagers. And his house is very big. And it's kind of one of those 1970s kind of multi-level houses with different staircases and pass-throughs and stuff. And almost every night, six children were just screaming as loud as they could and running around in circles playing some kind of tag or hide-and-seek or whatever. And at some point, you just go like, I want some peace and quiet. Where can I go for peace and quiet? I couldn't find anywhere. But for many of us, this is our search for peace. Whatever it is, I just don't want to deal with it anymore. I want it to be gone. But in Scripture, peace is not about being left alone. It's about entering into the place that God has created for you to flourish in. Psalm 119 says, Abundant peace belongs to those who who love your instruction. Nothing makes them stumble. If peace is just an absence of conflict, an absence of noise, it's hard to think of it as abundant. Think about, we say things like, it's raining so much outside. The word so much modifies a thing that exists. You would never say, it's not raining so much outside. Because not raining is not a thing that you can have much of. But if peace is a thing that is primarily absence, it's hard to have an abundance of peace. But in the Bible, shalom is not just a no, a no to strife, a no to conflict, a no to war. Shalom is a yes. 
It's a yes to order, to life, to justice. One of the companies I do video work for out in Spokane makes these um, giant robots. And not like transformer giant robots, like um, manufacturing system robots. And what they do is if you make a product, you make like dish detergent, and you need to get, ship out your dish detergent in cases of like 20 dish detergent bottles. And you tell them that, and then they make a robot that takes cardboard boxes and opens them up and folds them and tapes them and takes the dish detergent and puts them in the boxes and seals them up so that you can install that robot at your factory. That's their, their part of it. And they've got these conveyor belts and they've got these like tape guns and these like glue, hot glue squirter things. But the most amazing thing they have is these giant yellow robot arms. And they've got suction cups on them or little claw grabbers. And so I come in every, when they, when they make one of these machines before they ship it off to the factory, they want a video record of how it works. And so I set up my camera and the engineers plug in their codes and there's, a, there's always a light on top of the machine that turns green and then everybody gets back out of the camera view and I push record and you just start seeing boxes move through this thing and the robot arms come down and they put the stuff in the boxes and the flaps seal over it and this, it goes off into the other side. and Invariably, something breaks every time I'm there. And uh, some, something doesn't fire correctly and the box gets jammed and the cardboard smashes and the robot arm slams into it. And then all of a sudden the green light turns red and all the engineers come rushing in and go, don't film that part. <laughs> it's like, don't worry, I won't. But when they get it working, it's, it's like magic. It's like a symphony. It's these machines, and I know it's just math, but it's like they're alive and they're dancing. It's really beautiful. It's not quiet. It's not calm. It's active. It's noisy. But in that moment, as far as that machine is concerned, everything is right in the world. That's what peace is. And furthermore, peace is the goal of the whole heavens and earth project in scripture. The very next verse in Isaiah, Isaiah 9, 7 says, the dominion will be vast and its prosperity, that's the word shalom, its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. Shalom will never end. Later on in Isaiah, we read, the Lord says, peace, peace to the one who is far or near and I will heal him. But the wicked are like the storm-tossed sea for it cannot be still and its waters churns up mire and muck. There is no peace for the wicked, says my God. We learn that peace brings healing, but wickedness is like living amongst the chaotic waters and there is no peace. So how does Jesus bring us peace? Romans 5.1 says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus makes peace. Shalom, peace, it repairs things that are broken. Jesus pursues us because our relationship with God has been broken by sin. And Jesus restores the peace between us and God. 
In Ephesians 2, Paul says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who made both groups, Gentiles and Jews, one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might himself create in himself one new man from the two resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. Jesus brings peace between us and God. He also brings peace between people. Jesus is the glue that brings hostile people together. We can be reconciled to one another through Christ. And peace is is a project that Jesus undertakes. It's not just a state of being he enforces. And it's a work that he has given to the church. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, from now on then, we we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective Even if we had known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet we no longer know him this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we, in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Paul says, because of the gospel, I no longer look at people from a worldly perspective. I look at them through the eyes of Christ. And in Christ, everyone is a new creation. This idea of a new creation is important. There are two words in Greek for new. One is neos, and it means new in time. Uh, For those of you that are old enough to remember uh, this advertising campaign that came out in 2001, there was this startup company that Jeff Bezos and Steve Jobs and a bunch of other fancy tech people had bought into and invested in. It was this exciting new transportation technology and it was going to change the world. And for months, there was all this hype about what could it be? And this, this inventor was keeping it so secretive and there was this huge product launch and it was the Segway For those of you that know what the segue is, it's not as exciting as its hype led us to believe. But that's a a neos kind of new, a thing that has never existed before. Two wheels on a gyroscope that don't fall over. There's another Greek word, the word is kainos. And it's the word that Paul uses here. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That word means new in quality. This vase is a picture of the Japanese art form kintsugi. And the way this works is you take some pottery and you don't do it on purpose, but when pottery breaks, instead of throwing it away, they take it to a kintsugi artist and they remake the pottery using gold at the joints. And when they finish, they have a piece of art that is more beautiful than it was to begin with because of the way it highlights all the ways that it was broken. 
Makoto Fujimura says, Kintsugi does not fix or repair a broken vessel. Rather, the technique makes the broken pottery even more beautiful than the original, as the Kintsugi master will take the broken work and create a restored piece that makes the broken parts even more visually sophisticated. Jesus takes broken things, broken people, and by his life, death, and resurrection, he puts us back together in a way that makes us new. And while we look at our lives and all of the broken pieces and all of the the things that we are ashamed of and want to hide those things, the reality is it's the places where we are the most broken that the beauty of Christ shines through the greatest. Our stories of sin and death and the things that we've experienced have been transformed by the gospel. And just like that vase is not just a black vase, but it is a beautiful uh, gold decorated piece of art, Christian, you, your life looks the same way because Jesus has put you back together and made you new by his blood. So there's a couple tensions in this idea of peace. And the first one is suffering. Jesus in John 16 says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. So Jesus seems to say that we will have peace, but we will have peace in the midst of suffering. We are living in a world of brokenness and sin, but also living at peace. John Mark Comer has gotten some traction lately with the phrase non-anxious presence. There's an example of this in Mark 4. We read, on that day when evening had come, he told them, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. So they left the crowd and took him along since he was in the boat. And other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking over the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. He was in the stern, Jesus, sleeping on the cushion. So they woke him up and said, teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the sea, silence, be still. The wind ceased and there was a great calm. And then he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked one another, who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. See, Jesus is a non-anxious presence. The world seems to be falling apart around the disciples. The boat is going down and Jesus is asleep. Not because he doesn't care, but because he does. And he's teaching them. And he wakes up and he takes care of it. And he says, why are you afraid? Don't you have any faith? Anxiety is a sense of nervousness, a sense of panic or impending doom, increased heart rate, feeling weak, tired, trouble concentrating. In December of 2019, 7 to 9% of adults reported symptoms of anxiety in the United States. By August of this year, 28 to 37% of adults report those symptoms. Anxiety is skyrocketing in our nation. 
You probably feel that. If you don't feel anxious yourself, you know lots of people that are nervous and afraid and they feel tired and like they just can't get through the day. Things are hard. Why don't we have peace? See, in Mark, we, we see the disciples in the midst of a real storm. And the truth is life is filled with scary things. It's not all in your head. But we do not have faith in Jesus because we do not understand who he is. This is what the apostles say. Who is this? The wind and the sea obey him. So we can't get it into our hearts that Jesus really has the power and the ability to bring us peace. We talked about earlier that Isaiah is just undone in the presence of the Lord. He sees God for who he really is and he is moved by that. The apostles see Jesus act in ways that they cannot comprehend and they are moved by that. Our ability to be a non-anxious, peaceful presence in our world is dependent on how clearly we understand who Jesus is. How do we do that? We, we spend time in the word. We spend time meditating on Christ in prayer. We gather with God's people and we, we discuss these things with one another. We live out the kingdom ethic of the gospel in each other's lives in humility and service and sacrifice. But we're too busy and we don't think we know how And we have other things that just seem to be more pressing. But the thing is, they aren't. The most important thing for us is to draw near to Christ. And the Prince of Peace will bring peace into your world, but only if you get to know him. So we can have peace in the midst of suffering, but then there's another tension here. And this is the idea of vengeance. In Zechariah 9, we read, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The bow of war, the bow of war will be removed. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His dominion will extend from sea to sea, from the river Euphrates to the ends of the earth. We read that the king is humble. He's riding on a baby donkey, but he's also attacking the weapons of war that are against him. We read in Psalm 2 that, that the, the, the father gives the son this ability to conquer the nations and rule them with a rod of iron. It doesn't seem very peaceful. But there are things in this world, forces of chaos, death, and evil that have no place in the shalom of God and his kingdom. And peace will finally come in full when all of those evil things are destroyed. A number of years ago, my family bought a fixer-upper. And uh, we bought this house that was um, old and dirty, and there were mice, and there was mold, and there was shag carpeting, and not the cool kind. Uh, And 
And it was just, it was just a mess. I was reminded the other day that um, well, we, we told my parents that we put an offering on this house and, and just uh, uh, like the, the, a few hours later, they, call, they texted and said, hey, you need to call us. We just drove by the house you bought. <laughs> they were concerned. Um, what did it take to bring shalom into that house? Well, the first thing it took was a sledgehammer and a sawzall. We had to take down walls. We need to rip up carpet. We need to, to replace old, rusty, gunky water pipes. Shalom came to that home after a lot of deconstruction. And this is what will be with the kingdom of God. God's kingdom is full of good and beautiful things and God's people redeemed by the blood of Jesus. But there are parts of the creation that need to be gotten rid of powers and principalities, Satan and his minions have no place in God's kingdom. And part of Christ bringing peace to the world is destroying wickedness. We see this really clearly in Romans 16, 20. Paul says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. What a weird thing to say. The God of peace is going to crush Satan. This is a reference to Genesis chapter three. The seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. But the tension between peace and violence. It took a few weeks of of demo before we could move into our house. It took about a year and a half to get the remodel done, but we moved in about three or four weeks later. And there weren't really any bedrooms at this point. So the kids were kind of over there. And then me and Joanna had a mattress in the living room floor for a while. And she woke me up in the middle of the night one night and she goes, I think there's a bat in the house. And I assumed that she had been dreaming and I ignored her. And then she, she shook me a little bit and she said, there's definitely a bat in the house. And then I felt it fly by. <laughs> and uh, so then it was, you know, it's two o'clock in the morning and we've got a bat in the house. And uh, we had to deal with that because the bat was not promoting peace in my family <laughs> because... Then after Joanna recognized that there really was a bat in the house, um, she started screaming, which woke up our children, and they started screaming. And uh, so then, uh, you know, what do you do? You get up and you figure out how to get the bat out of your house. And so we just started opening doors and and grabbing tennis rackets and whatever else we had on hand. And uh, I didn't tell them until afterwards, but there were actually two bats in the house. Thankfully, we didn't have to kill the bats. They, they wanted out, and so they, they left through the front door. But the serpent does not promote peace in the kingdom of God. The serpent is an agent of chaos and death and destruction, and he has no place among God's people. He will be destroyed. He will be gotten rid of. The God of peace will crush the head of the serpent. A couple of weeks ago when we talked about 
Jesus being a mighty God, I ask this question. In what areas of your life are you afraid? What makes you anxious? And how do you need to recognize that the power of Jesus is your hope in those situations? Today, I want to ask a slightly different question. How is your world broken? How is it like a wall that has fallen down? How is it like a relationship that is unjust? What are the, 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 the personal exchanges that you have that do not work well? What are the systems that you live in that are broken? Some of you have real stories with the justice system that's broken. You have real stories with the healthcare system that's broken. What ways of being in your own life can you not seem to quit? Addictions, behaviors, emotions that seem out of control in your life. Think of people that that you would say, I just don't talk to that person anymore. They've hurt me too deeply. You see someone and it just wells up inside you. I hate that guy. Maybe you feel like you're in bondage to work, bondage to debt, bondage to some other thing that just seems bigger than you can control. Maybe inside you're enslaved to lust or pride or anger, gluttony, covetousness, these patterns that you keep on repeating and you can't seem to get free of. All of these things are fueling our anxiety and they are robbing us of peace. But Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He's the one that is given the authority and has been equipped with the ability to make peace in your life, in your family, and in the world. And if you haven't put your trust in Jesus this morning, you are not at peace. You may, you may like work up some peace because that's the way we get through the world, but ultimately you are living probably in fear, in shame, in insecurity. Maybe you don't think about it. That's why we live in this world where we have so many things that we can fill our time with. We never have to like reflect on who we are as people. I'm going to surf on social media. I'm going to play video games. I'm going to go out to shows and restaurants and concerts and just make my life filled with fun things so that I don't have to see and feel the hole in my heart. But if that's you, you can experience the peace of God by surrendering yourself to the Prince of Peace. But Christian, this morning, you have been given the Prince of Peace. Jesus has given himself to you. He has died and raised from the dead for you. And don't you wish that it was just a one and done transaction? Here's my sin, give me the peace. That's not how it works, is it? Jesus says in Matthew 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks the door will be opened. The words ask, seek and knock are in what's called the present tense, which could be translated ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. Why? Because Jesus is not a vending machine 
He is not a religious good and service that we just come to and he solves our problem and we go on with our, our lives. He is a person and he invites us into relationship with him. And so when we are living lives where we go, I'm not at peace, I am anxious, I'm afraid, I'm fearful, I don't think things are gonna work out. The Prince of Peace has come to me, talk to me about it. Get in my word. Rehearse the promises of God that I've made to you. And that's something that we have to be people that are habituated to do every single day because when we don't, that's when our peace crumbles around us. Jesus is the Prince of Peace and he has come to remake the world into the way that it is supposed to be. He's bringing shalom and wholeness and order to every aspect of creation, including you and me. And he will come again, not only to remedy all the rests of the broken parts of creation, but to bring about a world where peace as a positive, tangible thing increases without end. I'm going to do a little Q&R, if there is any. Nothing's to come through on the phone this morning. Anybody have anything they want to talk about? Raise your hand. It's scary. Okay. That's fine. We're going to take communion. Jesus' work of peacemaking. Think back about to that, that vase, the broken vase. Jesus' work of peacemaking is centered on his own brokenness. He's not sinful. He's perfect. But we take the bread and it's broken. And Jesus says, this is my body broken for you. The cup, Jesus says in Matthew that he's not going to drink this cup again until he drinks it new in his father's kingdom. Everything is going to be made new one day and we are going to feast together with the Lord. And as we take the bread and the cup, coming up, take the elements back to your seat. Just reflect on this idea that, that Jesus' brokenness is the power of God that makes us new, that brings us peace. That the more out of sorts we feel, the more anxious we are, the more worried and depressed and afraid that we get because of real things out in the world that are trying to make us feel that way, the more we need to lean into who Jesus is, specifically through his death and resurrection, because that's the power of God that's released onto the world that brings about peace. Peace. 
You've been listening to the Revelation Church Coeur d'Alene podcast. Learn more about Revelation Church at revelationcda.com.